0: Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslender. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on September 11th, 2022. I want to ask you three questions today. I don't consider these rhetorical questions. I really want you to answer them at least in your mind I want you to think deeply about them, and if you can't answer them now, I want you to take them home with you and answer them soon. They're good questions, not necessarily questions you hear every week, but they're, they're good questions, thought-provoking questions, important questions. Answer these three questions correctly, and it will change your life and even your eternity for the better. Answer them wrong, or just simply choose not to answer these questions and you'll end up with the the same old, same old life, the issues that you have now. Now, before I ask the questions, I want us to read a very challenging passage of Scripture that records the words of Jesus himself. It's not an easy passage. This is one of those passages that you need to think and ask yourself the question, what is Jesus saying? What does he mean? What's his point? What's he asking us to do? And So you need to think. Sometimes Jesus said things that are just so clear and obvious that you can pick them up. Sometimes it's a little deeper, and this is one of those deeper passages. The crowd was growing. It was made up of both disciples and critics, and these words are aimed primarily at his critics. The passage is Luke eleven twenty nine through 36, and if you have a red letter version of the Bible in which the words of Jesus are in red, then you'll notice that everything except for the opening phrase is in red. These are the words of Jesus himself, and we will continue on as part of the same passage next week. So are you ready to think deeply about some important questions? Yeah, see, sometimes I know I ask rhetorical questions and you all just fall asleep. Sometimes I want a verbal response. Are you ready to think deeply about three important questions? Good. Okay, then let's stand and let's read a challenging passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 11. And we're going to begin with verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. You may be seated. And I really want to use this passage as we explain it to ask you three questions. So let me give you just a little bit of of, of background to the passage. We began really this section... Last week, we looked at the first thing Jesus said after he healed a a mute man by casting out a demon, and we noted then that not only did the crowd attack Jesus saying that he was using the power of Satan to control Satan, but they also demanded a sign from him. And at this point, the crowd was growing. People heard Jesus was in town, and they came out, and some, were, of course, were his disciples and followers, and others were his critics. And you'll note that Jesus took a little bit of an aggressive tone in this section. He was answering his critics, and he wanted them to think very strongly. So now that I've set the stage, let me ask you three questions. Question number one is this one. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now understand that the demand for a sign had to frustrate Jesus a bit. He had just cast out a demon right before their eyes. A mute man who didn't have the ability to talk suddenly was talking and still they're saying, can you give us a sign? Can you give us a sign? Since we started Luke, If you've been with us, you've read of many, 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 many miracles. And they still said, can you give us a sign? Can you give us a sign? Let me just go through the list. In chapter 9, Jesus healed a demon-possessed boy that no one else could help. Also in chapter 9, he fed 5,000 people with five rolls and two pieces of fish. In chapter 8, he brought back a young girl from the dead. Also in chapter 8, he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Also in chapter 8, he cast out many demons and he healed a man who had been out of his mind. Still in chapter 8, he calmed a storm with just a word. In chapter 7, he raised a widow's son who had just died. Also in chapter 7, he healed the centurion's servant. In chapter 6, he healed hundreds. He says from Tyre and Sidon and Judea and Jerusalem, a huge area as people flocked to them and he healed them. In chapter 5, you remember the story, he healed a man who had been let down through the roof. Also in chapter 5, he healed a man who had leprosy. Still in chapter five, he caused a catch of fish so large that boats were sinking. In chapter four, he stayed up late at night healing all the people in the region of Capernaum. Also in chapter four, he healed Peter's mother-in-law from a high fever. Still in chapter four, he cast a deacon out of the wait a minute. Sorry, Stu. He cast a demon out of the synagogue. I didn't mean, well, maybe I did. Anyway, still in chapter 4, he endured and he triumphed over the devil during 40 days of testing. In chapter 2, at the age of 12, he astounded all the people with his wisdom when he went to the temple. In chapter 2, angels appeared to shepherds at his birth. And in chapter 1, he was born of a virgin. And still people are saying, can you give us a sign? How do we know what you're saying is true? How do you know we, you are the Messiah? How do you know you are the Son of God? That's 20 miracles. We're only in Luke chapter 11. Not even yet, halfway through. And Jesus is asking the question, that's not enough? You still want a sign? I'm going to give you one more. The sign of Jonah. For three days, he was presumed dead in the belly of a fish. And Jesus is referencing his own three days, not presumed dead, but dead and buried, and then his resurrection. And he said, if that's not enough, then you've already made up your mind. You're just looking for an excuse. You don't want a sign. What are you waiting for? I've shown you the truth. What are you waiting for? What about us? Why are we waiting? What are you waiting for? There comes a time in everybody's life in which you know the right thing to do. God has convinced you, called you, and commanded you. What are you waiting for? When I was in sixth grade, the custom in my elementary school. We had a really cool principal. And near the end of the sixth grade school year, before we moved on to seventh grade in a different school, he would take all the sixth graders to a big Olympic-sized swimming pool that had a high dive. And all the sixth graders were talking and challenging each other, who's going to go off the high dive? Well, you had to kind of pass a swimming test from the lifeguard first and I passed that and I got in line to go on the high dive partly because I wanted to and partly because I didn't want to be called a scaredy cat in front of my friends. I climbed the ladder when it was my turn and I walked out to the end of the board and I looked down and suddenly I realized it looks a whole lot farther from up here than it did from down there. And I contemplated turning around and going back down the ladder. A few others had already done that. And then a friend called out Hey, Jack, are you afraid? What are you waiting for? It was the ugliest jump dive in the history of diving. Because I decided to jump and then halfway down, I decided to dive and I didn't get my hands out in front of my head and I kind of went down and I hurt my head. But I was glad I did it. And I did it many more times, hopefully with a little more artistic success that day. (laughs) So think about you. You're on the brink of going all in with Jesus at a level you've never done before. It's going to mean great change and deep commitment and no more hesitation. You will be glad you did it even though parts of it may hurt and cause some necessary change in your life. It might even be temporarily painful. There's a little embarrassment. There's some changes. There's some talking to friends. There's some changing some habits. There's some making some proclamations as to who you're going to be. But you'll be glad you did. And so question number one, not just about going to church and walking the aisle and being baptized, but going all in on Jesus. What are you waiting for? That's question number one. Question number two is a little bit different As Jesus began to speak to his critics, he asked this question, Hey, who's going to condemn us? Who's going to condemn you? And Jesus said to the Jews, Listen, on Judgment Day, two different groups of people are going to speak against you. He referenced the story of Jonah. Jonah went to the city of Nineveh, and he preached repentance. He didn't heal. He didn't cast out demons. He called people to repentance and they repented. And Jesus said, now one far greater than Jonah is standing before you. And I'm calling you to repentance and faith. Why haven't you done so? The fact that you have not means that the city of Nineveh will stand against you on judgment day. They had far less than you. They repented. Why not you? And then he said, as will the queen of Sheba. Her story is in 1 Kings 10. She heard rumors of Solomon's wisdom. And she took a very long and dangerous trip over many months to Jerusalem. She got there and she asked Solomon questions. She tested and heard his wisdom. And as a result, she praised God and became a believer. And Jesus said, one far greater and wiser than Solomon is standing before you. And you aren't listening. Why not? The Queen of the South will testify against you on Judgment Day. That got me thinking. Who will testify against us? The United States of America, Avondale Baptist Church, Jack Marslander, you on Judgment Day. What other country will say, listen, we had a tenth of your opportunity, yet we turned to faith in large numbers, while you turn away from God, you turn away from truth, you turn away from morality, and you've turned away from integrity. And even those of you who do believe seem rather unexcited about it. The truth is, the United States of America has been blessed more than any country in the history of the world. We have more churches, we have more Bibles, we have more seminaries, we have more preachers, we have more classes, we have more conferences, we have more Christian camps, we have more Christian literature, and yet we are still more excited about our politics and our sports teams than we are about our faith. And what other countries will stand up and condemn us? We didn't have the preachers. We didn't have the Bibles. We didn't have the opportunity. And yet more of us turned to faith than you. Who will condemn us? Who will testify against our church or against me or against you? Who can say, we had much less opportunity... But we took Jesus more seriously than you did. Who will condemn us? I don't have the answer to that, but I want you to think about it. Because God has blessed us tremendously. We ought to be much more than we are. And yet we've stepped back. So question one, what are we waiting for? Question number two, who will condemn us? And question number three, what are you looking at? Has anybody ever asked you that? I have this habit when I'm thinking deeply of kind of just staring off into space and, and not even realizing that my eyes might be directed at someone and I make them nervous or guilty. And I get the question What are you looking at? But that's a good question for you and I to answer, what are we looking at? Now, the word picture is much like Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount about the the light and the lamp, but he used it here for a different purpose. There, in Matthew, we are the light of the world and we are supposed to shine. Here, it is Jesus that is the light of the world. He can be seen and it's up to us to open our eyes and see him. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. And then he talked about our eyes. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. When they're unhealthy or cloudy and you can't see, your body is also full of darkness. Our eyes... And, of course, our ears control the input to our minds. If our input is unhealthy, then our mind is unhealthy. Or in computer terms or statistical terms, garbage in, garbage out. So what are you looking at? I told you that this country has more Christian resources by a huge factor than any country in the history of the world. But our eyes, and therefore our minds, are often filled with politics, sports, video games, movies, TV shows, and music. I'm not saying that all these things are bad, but I'm saying that even for Christians, we have so many inputs, and Jesus is such a small segment of that That Jesus has been moved out of our focus and out of our sign of light and are filling our eyes and therefore our brains with bad things or good things, but not the best thing. So what are we looking at? Here's the truth, and I hope you've seen this. I've seen it over my own lifetime, and you can probably see it over yours. We've dumbed down Christianity because we've lessened our input. hundred years ago, it was common for elementary school kids to give the 66 books of the Bible in order, name the 12 disciples, name the 12 letters of Paul, and talk intelligently about 20 or so of the miracles of Jesus. I was called upon in church, and it scared me to death. I mean, it absolutely scared me to death in third grade to stand up in church and give the 27 books in order of the New Testament. I kind of stuttered my way through it. By sixth grade, after vacation Bible school, we were called to stand up in church and give the 66 books of the Bible in order. By high school 100 years ago, a teenager would be expected to know the ten major periods of Bible history, name and summarize the major name, and summarize the major and minor prophets, explain the expansion of the church in both the Bible and beyond, and have a solid understanding of doctrine. Today we have deacons and maybe even preachers that can't do that because we've lessened our input. Why? Why? Well, if you answer the question, what are we looking at? You get the answer to that. And it's easily explained. We know everything about news and politics and sports and the entertainment world and movies and everything that's going on in our country. But we know very little of the things of the faith. Because our eyes and our minds are are focused elsewhere. So what are you looking at? Now, listen carefully. Listen carefully. What you look at leads to what you think about. What you think about leads to what you do. And what you do leads to who you are. What you look at leads to what you think about. What you think about leads to what you do. And what you do defines who you are. So who are you? It starts by answering the question, what are you looking at? So what I'm asking you to do today is two things. Pretty simple. Pretty direct. Number one Go for it. Don't wait any longer. Use that analogy of the diving board. You've climbed the stairs, you're on the edge. You're either jumping in or you're walking away. And I believe that God is leading you to the next step in your faith. It may be to join the church, jump in. It may be to be baptized if you've never been baptized. Jump in. It may be to to tell Jesus, okay, I'm all in. I've been on the fringes. I'm jumping in. I'm going to start telling people about you. I'm going to start reading the Bible. I'm going to start praying and going to prayer meetings. I'm going to start being what you want me to be. I'm going to make those changes in my life that you've been leading me to make for months and years and that I put off. I'm going for it. So, what's your answer to that? Part of it was I wanted to jump. Part of it is I didn't want to be called a scaredy cat. I'm not going to call you a scaredy cat, but you know if God's leading you to do something. And I'm just saying it's time to go for it all the way. We don't need halfway Christians in this country. We need people to follow Jesus 100%. So number one, go for it. And then number two, change your habits. If you're going to go for it, you can't keep doing the same old things you've been doing. Christianity is much more than a one-time decision. So if you're serious about following Jesus, there's a whole series of things that you need to adopt and another whole series of habits to turn away from. And so so make a commitment to those things already you know are real. A commitment to every week worship. A commitment to daily prayer, which includes praise, thanksgiving, repentance, and commitment. A commitment to regular prayer meetings in which you are praying with other believers. A commitment to real Bible study, both of your own and in a class with other Christians. A commitment to service in your church and community. I won't just attend, I will serve. I won't just go to church, I will be the church. And it includes a change in turning away from the harmful things in your life. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to spend time on that anymore. Because it doesn't help me, it hurts me. And so part of the jumping in process is saying there, there are things in my life I need to change and I'm going to follow through. So those are the three questions and I want you to answer them. If not right now, during our prayer time, then soon. What are you waiting for? Who will condemn you? You have been blessed beyond almost any other person, family, family, nation in the history of the world and yet there are others who have gone farther than we have why And then number three what are you looking at because what you look at is what you think about what you think about is what you do what you do is who you are and so i'm asking you to make a very real and deep commitment to jesus today thank you for listening to messages from avondale baptist church and pastor jack marslinder You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net, and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.